This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. What's this? So little time since episode 44? Well, that was the UK Expo preview. This is the UK Expo review. I'll be talking about games I played, people I saw, and my top 10 moments from the best place to be for board games in the United Kingdom. Hello and welcome to episode 45. It's been a week since the UK Games Expo and it was great. It was fantastic. So many changes have gone through this year by moving it from the Hilton Hotel to the NEC Hall and it's been 90% for the better. It has grown considerably since last year. I feel a lot of it was more well organized i felt there was more publishers there both indie and well known there were better you know there were more special guests there was so much better about this year's convention than the previous two which were already pretty damn well good but i'll get into more detail of that later So what's the format of this episode? Well, first I will talk about the expo in general, about what I did while I was there. Then I will go into some detail into some of the games I played or demoed there. And then finally, my top 10 moments from the UK Games Expo in general. And this might be games played, this might be just people I met, but mainly it will be experiences I had. So first off, the expo in general. Well, I got there on Thursday evening straight after work and a very uneventful drive. And I made certain that I got enough sleep to start off the Friday with a bang for the press pass event. And that was about the best night's sleep I got because despite the fact that I slept well, I didn't sleep for very long on future days. So apologies if I looked a little bit zoned out or knackered at various times because, well... I was knackered. I've been drained this whole week since the expo whilst trying to cope with work and my fitness and everything. I just need this weekend to, you know, chill and relax. But I got to do this podcast, so, oh well, (laughs) sucks to be me in that case then. But the expo in general was fantastic. On Friday, the press event took place in the morning for a couple of hours before everyone else turned up to the event in general. And this had all the publishers and various designers sat alongside tables in rows with whatever game they were really trying to showcase there or what product. And we basically got to ask them questions, do the occasional interview, or in my case, mainly talk because I don't have a microphone handy. And it was great fun to do but it was also handy to get in there and have almost like a first dibs on what was going to be there so I knew exactly what to aim for specifically that was really taking my attention and I suppose also dropping my games for the Brin and Buy sale I must admit that was quite a nice little perk but mainly it was all about seeing those publishers and designers showcase what they do and they're very passionate about it it doesn't matter whether it's some little party game that's like a fiver you know cheap and cheerful or some massively you know, I wouldn't say overproduced, but, but you know, gorgeous-looking dungeon tiles and Dark Souls, you know, miniatures, that kind of thing. It doesn't matter what type of game it was, everybody was just passionate there. Everybody was keen to be sat at those tables and showing us what they had and why they loved it so much. Of course, once that was done, the whole thing kicks off, and it was basically a plethora of trying to fit in not only all the demos that I wanted to see, but also the people I wanted to meet, and all the seminars I wanted to attend. In previous years, I've done board game tournaments, and I haven't really done much in the way of seminars. And on this occasion, I wanted to do things a bit differently. I didn't want to do any tournaments, because tournaments take up so much time that you could be using for other games, although I did slightly go against that, which I'll get into more detail later. And I wanted to do seminars, because previously I never went to a seminar. There were guests that I wanted to see, perhaps, but I just never really had the time to spend the hours going to the seminars. This year I wanted to do things a bit differently. 
And the seminar section was a corner of the NEC hall. So everything to do with the trade and exhibitions took place in the NEC hall. And there was a corner that was done for the seminars. That was a bit hit and miss for location planning because it's a fairly noisy hall once you're in there. And despite the fact that the microphones that everyone had obviously recorded very good audio, because if you look at some of the videos that have come off there, the audio comes off very well. But the problem was, was that you had this annoying tannoy attendant or whoever it was, basically come up every now and again talking about what was going on on the center stage. You couldn't understand a word she said anyway, but it also interrupted all the seminars, which caused a few laughs, I'll admit. But still, surely they should have thought about that before they stuck it in the corner room. I think they should have just put all the seminars in the Hilton. There was already some seminars in the Hilton, so why couldn't they do more? Why couldn't they do all of them at the Hilton? I'm sure people wouldn't have minded just a five-minute walk to go from the NEC hall to the seminars. I guess if you wanted to do it back and forth, it's a bit more of a pain. But, you know, it's a case of the good and the bad. Which way around would you prefer it, I guess? But I did more seminars this time. So, obviously, the Dice Tower were in attendance with Sam Healy and Tom Vassell. So I made it pretty much my mission in life to not only meet them again... Well, in Sam Heady's case for the first time, because he wasn't at Essen, and also to see them live on their shows. I went to the actual podcast show, and I'll get more into detail that later, and of course the Q&A session with Tom and Sam, because I do like the Q&A sessions as well. Would have been nice to have seen a top 10 list, but yeah, you've only got so much time, and top 10 lists take a while, and they do like to do things differently. As for the rest of the seminars, well, Colin Baker made an appearance, who was definitely one of the big guests to have there, and I only just about got to see him. I went to the final seminar that he did, which was like a Q&A with a comedian, and that was actually good fun. I'd never met Colin Baker in person before, and he's just such a likeable guy. He's so expressive. He's got... You can tell he's passionate about everything he says. You know, he he talks a bit like a comedian. You know, he's he's kind of like... Almost a bit like Robin Williams. I don't know, he kind of reminds me of that. Everything he says is passionate and full of just general cheerful expression. It's like he wouldn't harm... Well, he did mention that he can have his uh, dark sides, but... You know, generally, if you just saw him, you'd think he wouldn't harm a fly. You'd think he was... You'd think he was Santa Claus, basically. He's just got that level of cheerfulness and charm about him. And it was great to at least meet a doctor in person, because, well, I don't often get to meet a Doctor Who in person, and most people know how fanatical I am about Doctor Who in general. So, that was a good one as well. And I think the other seminar I went to was... Yes, Paul Grogan from Gaming Rules had hosted a a podcast with several other UK YouTube content providers. And the idea was it was teaching people what the pros and cons and pitfalls were of doing YouTube video content or blogging in general. It was an interesting little seminar. I mean, not terribly loads in attendance. I mean, there's only so many of us that are interested in making our own content after all. But it was useful just to get a few tips for doing videos and how some people will do it with the most basic of technology and how some people will go for ultra-professional edits that take days to do. It gave me some ideas about what I want to do when I hopefully move into my new house and get back into video. Certainly, I do not want to be doing anything that takes like three days to edit. I will certainly be going for a much more quick approach but without compromising too much on quality. So we'll have to see how that goes in the long run. So the seminars themselves were really good, particularly the Dice Tower Live one. This was the one I was waiting for because their live shows are always pretty good. But this one was a bit special because I met up with Tom and Sam shortly before the convention started and they had already met up with a gaming friend of mine, Jay Howitt from Breacher18.com and they'd already arranged for some of us to appear on the show. And we were essentially going to get like five to ten minutes each to talk about what we did, what our podcasts were. In Jay's case, she talked about uh, the Luderati Cafe in Nottingham that's doing quite well. And generally, it was really, really enjoyable. I mean, it was it just basically was like, yeah, my life is complete now. I blogged board games, I have podcasted board games, I have videoed board games, I have met the guys from the Dice Tower Network... And then I get to be on their show rather than just giving a segment for the podcast. It pretty much completed everything. Although, maybe not everything. I suppose I need to get back into video and start doing things for Board Game Breakfast or Throat Punt Lunch or something. Yeah, that might be the next step. Uh, Well, always something to aspire to, isn't there? But it was great. 
we sat in the audience. We had a lot of fun listening to them. They talked about a lot of games, a lot of people they'd met. And then, as nerve-wracking as it was, we ended up talking about what we wanted to do as guests on the show. And, oh my god, I am used to talking to you through a microphone. But I'm by myself here. Nobody else is listening. I just have to hope that I sound alright when I end up with the finished product. But when you're in front of a lot of people... I usually get comfortable once the ice has been broken. It's a bit like with speed dating. It's easy enough to talk and be cheerful and be passionate as soon as you've broken the ice and you've got into the swing of things. But that initial swing is hard. Breaking the ice is hard. You know, you've got two guys that you've almost idolized in front of you chatting to you on a podcast. You know that this is going to go out on a global scale and yet you've still got 200 plus people sitting in front of you hoping that you don't sound like a complete idiot while you're talking about board games in general. And you've got to be really careful about how you phrase your words, about how you come across, because first first impressions are everything. Most people there probably didn't know who I was, and I don't blame them. But here's the first impression for them, and they're either going to think, ah, oh, he's a decent bloke, or they're going to think, or more likely, they're going to think, oh my god, who's this crazy bloke from the West Country? Hmm, it's dodgy accent and everything. You know, it was such a blast to do, though, and I was grateful for the opportunity. I hope that there'll be more occasions to do that in the future, certainly on future UK Games Expos, and maybe even at Essen, who knows? I'll leave that to Tom and Sam to, to deal with, and all the rest of the Dice Tower crew. But it just made my day to do it it really did i know it sounds like i'm pandering like crazy but wouldn't you do the same you know don't you if there's a book you really like if there's a movie franchise you really like don't you just dream of meeting the people that are involved with it you know you adore uh, a tv show or something don't you want to meet the actors and the actresses and doesn't it just make your day when you see them you know what i'm on about it's the same for this maybe a bit more geeky but it's still the same thing so seminars in general top-notch. So, with the rest of the expo, generally the daytime was the trade halls. So, from about 9 in the morning to about 4 or 5 in the evening, the trade halls were open and basically you could demo games, you could talk to the publishers, you could talk to designers, you could buy games from all sorts of different stores, you could check out all the accessories like Geekazon's tables, which are just gorgeous, and various other little trinkets and roleplay, dice, you know, there's huge collections of dice everywhere, you're certainly not going to be short of that. And... In the evenings, the trade hall would shut down and the Hilton Hotel would then open up all its rooms for open gaming. And it already had some during the day anyway. And it just carried on in that format for the three days, but things ran pretty smoothly. There were some teething troubles with the bring and buy sale, with the server going down and the queues getting a bit long. And as I mentioned, the seminar tannoy and the fact that people could stay from the previous seminar for the next seminar. I must admit that did make a few people queuing outside irate and I did feel bad for a few people that I was chatting to because after all, this was very particular with the Dice Tower one, people wanted to come and see Tom and Sam and they were queuing up outside but then so did a ton of other people who had been at the Colin Baker session the time before. So they were allowed to sit in and the others had to fill up whatever space there was and not everyone could get in. I felt really bad for them, but then I guess, how else could you do it? You'd have to say, right, you can go into the, you guys in this seminar, you can go into the next one, but you've got to go outside and queue again. Well, they'll be at the back of this mile-long queue, and they probably won't get in. So, one way or the other, you're going to annoy some people. I don't really know how else you're going to do it. Best thing I could suggest is make sure you go to the seminar beforehand. You'll get an interesting listen and you'll get to sit in the seminar that you were aiming for. It's an hour out of your life, if nothing else. That's probably the best thing I could suggest. But they didn't communicate this very well to the people queuing outside. And I do have to admit, I felt slightly bad for them. All right, that's actually an under-exaggeration. I felt really bad for them, especially when someone noticed my press badge, realized that I was actually meant to be on the Dice Tower show, and they let me in over other people. And I just couldn't help but feel just a bit bad. I hope that the people I was chatting to managed to get into that seminar. If not, you know, I feel bad, but at least you can listen to it now live on the Dice Tower on YouTube. You can watch it live on YouTube now. They've just released it. But if you subscribe to the Dice Tower podcast, you can also listen to it live there. So at least you won't miss out on it. It's just, you know, you always like to see it live, don't you? I I get what you mean. 
So maybe they can, you know, fine-tune that next year. But to be honest, if if that's just going to be the same thing, I don't know how you would get around it apart from just having a bigger seminar space. And you don't always need 400-plus seats for a seminar because some seminars were packed out and some seminars barely had 20 people. But it doesn't matter how many people you have turn up to the seminar. It's the case that the people who have turned up want to be there and they want to enjoy what's being said. So... I don't see how you would get around it. It's just one of those things you have to deal with at game conventions in general. But the format worked. The trade hall's been open for just enough time that you could get what you wanted done for that day, but you still had stuff to look forward to the next day. And I was on my feet all the time. Except when I was sat down watching the seminar, but you know what I mean. I was constantly doing something. I was demoing a game, I was talking to designers and publishers, or I was watching a seminar, or I was gaming. I wasn't sat there like twiddling my thumbs at all until probably about the last hour and a half on Sunday when I had run out of things to do. Although, to be honest, if certain publishers had not hidden themselves so well in the expo, I might have actually used up that hour and a half and gone seeing them. But, you know, you'd think that you'd be able to notice everybody who sat in a trade hall. But you'd be surprised on how many people you can miss when you're walking around just basically like a kid in the candy store. And it is like a big candy store. It's like a mini Essen. You know, you've got spacious lines and you've got stalls all everywhere full of games and you just want to try out everything. In terms of the crowd, as I mentioned, loads of people turned up this time. It was a much bigger convention compared to the last two years by far, but it never felt cramped. The NEC Hall was the perfect place to situate this expo. I cannot stress that enough. There were increased figures on for attendance on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And even on the busy day of Saturday, it never felt too crowded. I never felt like I was too hot. It was nicely well ventilated in that room. So I never really got too hot. And I never felt like I had to constantly squeeze past people to get to somewhere. Granted, on Saturday it was a little harder to get into certain demos, but I was able to get into a demo for 90% of the games that I wanted to get demoed. So, even with increased attendance, it never felt like you were being shut out. Like you do at theme parks when the queue's stupidly long and you can't get on like more than two rides in a day. This one just felt very smooth very well organized. I cannot wait for next year. If it's going to be improved on this year, it's only going to get better and better and bigger and bigger. Although, let's cap it at a point. Let's not get over our heads, okay? It's a good size at the moment. You could make it a little bit bigger and maybe fine-tune a few things, but you do not need to create the next Gen Con. You don't need to create the next Essen, because eventually it might get too big for your britches and you might run into other problems. Tom and Sam said on the podcast that they thought that this was about the perfect size for a general games convention, that there was plenty there to do and see, but it never felt like you were crowded or budged in. So I reckon it's good as it is. Keep it at this level, fine-tune a few things, and I'll be perfectly happy every year to come to the UK Games Expo. Anyway, that's enough for just talking about the Expo in general. I know you don't want to hear just about that. You want to know about games I played. So there's quite a few to get through, and I'm just basically going to give my first impressions of each. So let's get on with it. Okay, first one I'm going to talk about was published by Gen42 Games and designed by, I hope I get this right, John Yanni? Y-I-A-N-N-I? John Yanni? I hope I got that right. But this is the same designer who designed Hive. And Hive, you'll know, featured, I think, on my top 75 last year. But even if it didn't, it's certainly a top 100. It's a really good two-player abstract game. And that's what Tatsu is as well. It's another two-player abstract game. Except this one's a lot more different to Hive. What you have here is a board with two rings around it with spots on the ring, so bits to put your pieces. Each side has a selection of dragon tiles, and they're in three different colours. You have green, which are vine dragons, and these are used to hold opposing pieces in place. You have blue dragons, which push your opposing dragons off the board temporarily. And then you have the red dragons, which basically kill off tiles entirely. The object of the game is to either eliminate an entire colour worth of dragons from the opposing player, 
or get it so that they've got nothing on the board. Typically, the first bit is what happens. But what happens is that you roll two six-sided dice to decide your movement, and then either by combining or splitting the values, your pieces travel around the inside circle of the board, only swapping to the outer circle when landing on the same space as another piece. And as I mentioned, this affects the piece by entangling them, expelling them off the board, or destroying it entirely. There's a bit of luck with the dice, but not too much. There are times when you need a roll and it doesn't happen, but you just got to deal with it. It happens both ways. But there's a lot of tactics to be had in how you use the dice on particular turns, and you will have to take risks. You'll have to decide, oh, I'm sending my dragon over there, but his red dragon's on the way. He might take it. But if he doesn't, then I'm in a good position. And you've got to deal with it. You can get your pieces on the board by landing on certain colour spots around, whether it's on your side or their side. And each person has got three zones, which if you roll a one, two or three on the dice, you can bring in your extra pieces. So whether you end up with a lot of vine dragons on the board at once or a balance of all is entirely up to you. It's very simple to play, but it's really nice looking. It was about £22 I think I bought it for. And, yeah, this was an instant purchase after I beat the designer at his own game. So, you know, okay, yeah, there goes my head. Yeah, I'm sure many other people did as well. But it's really nice looking. The board itself is fairly decent. You know, the spaces are clear, the dragons look cool. But what really makes this stand out are those tiles. Everybody likes Hive because of those tiles. Those Bakelite, Bakelite, or whatever they are, the... uh, almost like ceramic style tiles with the insects on them they look gorgeous here it's no different you've got these small round tiles with the dragons like emblazed all over them and in different colors you've got the white tiles for one player and the black for the other and it's still green blue and red dragons on them and they just look really nice and are really chunky they're made out of the same stuff i think that the hive tiles are so you can tell that these are pretty good quality and aren't just somebody gonna chip in your hand the second you take it out of the box really cool little two-player abstract i suggest giving it a look if you're into two-player abstracts of any kind and want something where there's a little bit more risk taking rather than just simply you know no luck whatsoever because i don't think the luck spoils it on this one there's only a little bit of it you can deal with bad rolls but you know you can't deal with bad tactics so it's a really nice little game anybody could get into it the rules are dirt simple great little gateway abstract tatsu Next up is actually the first game I played during the entire convention, and that is Mystic Veil by AEG. Tom Vassell had recently reviewed this one, and I watched it before attending the convention, hoping that it would be at the expo to try out. It was slightly hidden away, but it was eventually found, and I was able to get in on the first game, pretty much, with another player. Now, what Mystic Veil is, is is mainly just a card game, and you... You draw cards from a deck, you generate mana, and you buy more cards, and you try to get points. You've probably heard that said so many times about most other card games and with resource management. Here's the twist. This has its own unique system that has never been done before. You've had deck building, where you've created a deck. You've even had dice building, where you've created the sides of a dice. You have never had card crafting. This is where you create the card itself. Essentially, you start off with a starter deck of cards, which are in sleeves, but there's only a third of it taken up with a card ability and a mana resource, and top, middle, or bottom. The idea is is that you draw the cards from your deck until you reach a certain limit of spoil symbols, and whatever mana you've got left, you buy more cards with. Now, you can push your luck and try to get more cards, but if you draw more spoils, then you forfeit your turn, but you get a little bonus for the next round as a compensation. But the idea is is that you're buying these cards from a tableau, and you put these bits of card, if that makes sense, into the sleeves of what you've just drawn. So you might have a blank card, for example. Literally, it's got nothing in it apart from the sleeve. You then buy something with a special ability that gives you two mana instead of one, and you slip it into the sleeve, covering the top layer. When you draw that card later on, it now does whatever that top layer says. But then later on, you can buy the middle and the bottom layer that do different abilities and slot them into the same card and basically create your own triple effect card. 
You could spread them out across multiple cards so that they only do one little thing, but every card does something. Or you could buy lots of abilities but shove them all into the same like five or six cards so that you've got some bumper cards, but they're not going to come out of the deck as often unless you've got some way to mitigate it. It's such a cool system. Now, I'm not saying that this is the best game ever made yet. I've only played one game, and it was a two-player game. I need to try it, obviously, when it gets released in a month or two, I believe. I think it's coming out quite soon. But wow, I love games with innovation that do something different. You know, I, I I go on about XCOM with the way it used the app. Even though I don't like 504... I still like the way that that was a good piece of innovation. Alchemist used the app to a good degree. And there have been games which have done things with mechanics that most people could only dream of. This is an example of one of those mechanics that is just ripe for exploitation. This is going to be AEG's baby effectively. There will be expansions to Mystic Veil, I'm sure, with more cards. But I'm sure they're going to use this system in a lot of other games. And I think it's just really cool. We've created decks, we've created dice, but now we're creating the cards? And there's a lot of variety in the abilities. The artwork is fantastic, absolutely gorgeous, and the sleeves are actually good quality. People were thinking that the sleeves would just basically crumble in your hand or something, or they'd be like cheap you know, penny sleeves. But no, they're actually pretty decent sleeves, and the cards slot into them very easily, even when you've got three of them at a time. So, component quality-wise, it's pretty sound. Artwork, it's gorgeous. Gameplay is simple, yet engaging. And the variety is there. Mystic Veil could be one of the biggest hits of 2016 if it, if it gets enough buzz when it gets released. And this system, even if it doesn't take off with Mystic Veil, I can't wait to see what this card crafting system does in other games. It, we're getting innovative designs every year, and this is going to be the big one of 2016. This is already my pick for most innovative game for 2016 by far. So we'll see what the latter half of the year does for me. But so far, Mystic Veil is going to take the innovation top spot. So AEG, Mystic Veil, I urge you to give this one a try and see the system for yourself when it comes out later this summer. Next up, we have a little game called Beyond Baker Street, designed by Robin Lees and Steve McKenzie, published by Z-Man Games. This is, I know they're going to hate me saying it, this is essentially a meteor version of Hanabi. Now, Hanabi, you'll remember from a few years back, it won the Spiel de Yaris, and it was the little firework game where you were basically placing cards numbered 1 to 5 in sequence whilst holding your hand away from you so that only your other players or teammates could see what you had. You gave clues about the cards, and you played them at the right time. It's a really cool little game, pocket-sized, cheap, fit, and definitely worth picking up. Beyond Baker Street takes that mechanic and adds some more twists and meat to it. It's now set with a Sherlock Holmes setting, so it tries to give it a bit more of a theme than Hanabi's firework display, and to a degree it does succeed. Everything that's in the game makes sense. You have character roles now that give you either hindrances or buffs to what you're doing in the game, and they're all Sherlock themed. You know, you'll recognize them from the series, the books, and the movies. You have, but what you're doing in this one is yes, you have your cards faced away from you, but you are trying to complete these four different piles of cards. Three of them relate to various types of evidence, like footprints and clues, that kind of thing, and one of them is called the impossible. Because everybody remembers that classic line that Sherlock Holmes said about, you know, once you eliminate everything, the impossible must be... Alright, I've forgotten it. Whatever. I can't remember it off by heart. But you know what I mean if you are a Sherlock Holmes fan. Instead of playing something in sequence, what you're trying to do is you are trying to solve the crime before Sherlock does. And Sherlock's essentially a timer. And each of the piles, the first three piles, have a number that you're trying to reach. And you're playing cards from one to six in a way that you will add up to that total. So you can't go over and you can't be under it. You've got to get exact. So it is key to play the right cards at the right time. But on top of that, you also have to play enough cards on the impossible pile to take this other little track exactly up to 20 without going over or under. So you've got to do all four of those things before Sherlock's timer little track gets to the end. Now, I know I'm making it sound a bit more mechanical than it is, and to be fair, even though it's got the Sherlock theme on it, it is mostly a mechanical-style game. But if you enjoyed Hanabi for what it was for that 
cards facing away from you mechanic and the simplicity of it and the fact that it was a good little co-op but you thought well I've kind of conquered this one now I need something a bit more meaty with a bit more twists and something that just looks a bit more colorful then take a look at Beyond Baker Street because this would essentially be Hanabi Plus. It's Hanabi with extra bits added to make it more of a challenge and you know we were playing it on easy mode and despite that I had two teammates who could not get what I was trying to send to them so we ended up losing so that wasn't the best start but the game itself can be made pretty hard and pretty tough if you try and it's not exactly a pushover so if you're thinking that you want like Hanabi Advanced or Hanabi difficult edition then check out beyond baker street it's a decent implementation of that mechanic taken to a new more complex gamer level while still being accessible to players both old and new beyond the baker street by z-man games automania now this one technically came out last year so it's not the newest game ever but it hasn't been seen a lot in play until uh, a booth had it here and all I'd heard about it was that it was a game about making cars and that the Dice Tower crew had all, I think all three of them, put it on their top surprises of 2015 list. This was kind of like the uh, 10 to 20 of their top 20 of 2015 so they all really liked it because they didn't think it was going to be that good. The artwork is very cartoony. It's definitely marketed as a gateway game. But there's enough depth in it to give you enough to think about without blowing your brain. It's pretty light. It's not a midweight level. It's not a heavyweight. It's a lightweight euro. But you are making cars. There is two different markets to sell to. One gives you more money. One gives you more victory points. So you've got to think about which one you need at a particular time. You are essentially placing worker meeples on this grid of I think four by four tiles and you can take any tile from the row or column that you've gone to but you have to build a specific car from the row based on where you put your meeples and you can replace other people's meeples but if you do so you've got to spend more of your own and the opponent gets theirs back so they could use it to do other stuff and it's very simple you're essentially building cars trying to meet the demands of the two markets by like more luggage space or better steering or eco-friendly that kind of thing and if you do this then your car is worth more money it's worth more points it's got like higher star ratings as they call it and it's just really simple you can customize your little factory board and design cars in the way you want now don't get me wrong we're not talking like the most thematic car game ever. This is not Kanban Automotive Revolution, and if you're going to ask me to play a game about making cars, I'm going to pick Kanban without a second thought. But I got to give this one kudos. Automania is a perfect gateway level Euro. It really is. There are no complex rules in this. The rules are very easy to understand and I'm not just talking from a gamer perspective. I had my friend turn up unexpectedly from back home from the West Country and he played this. And granted he's done things like Warhammer in the past but when it comes to board games he's fairly new. And he picked this up like no problem. Granted, he lost, but he still picked up the rules. He didn't struggle with understanding it or anything. I reckon I could teach this to anybody I knew and they would pretty much understand it. It's very intuitive. It's very straightforward. But you are making cars and there's enough depth to keep you thinking. You can't just breeze through it. You can't just go on autopilot. You have to actually think about what you're doing. You have to take into consideration what the market's like, what the other players are doing, whether giving them back their meeples is actually going to mean that they can do more powerful stuff. I was this close to buying it and I don't know what's holding me back. It's a really good game. The components are pretty good. The artwork is colourful, even if it's a bit cartoony. I don't know what's holding me back. I think maybe it's because I already own Kanban, and that is the car game of choice that I have. But I'm on the fence. I may still get this, because everybody who played it enjoyed it, and it's a perfect gateway game. I mean, this podcast was designed to talk about gateway games majority of the time, I guess, but... I can certainly recommend that if you want a game about making cars that isn't too difficult that you can teach to anybody, Automania is a solid bet. Who knows, you might even see it end up in my collection in the long run, but 
I'm holding on the trigger for the moment, but I certainly recommend you check it out if you were slightly scared by the artwork, don't be. There is a good game to be found here. Automania, published by Aporta Games, check it out. And yes, you can stop screaming internally about when am I going to talk about this game. You knew it was coming. You knew that if you knew it was there at the expo, you knew that at some point I was going to make certain I played it. Scythe. Designed by Jamie Stegmaier, done by Stonemaier Games, who, to be fair, even though I don't own every single one of their games, they have not put a foot wrong since I've known them, to be honest. They did Euphoria, which is a great game. They've done Viticulture, which is probably in my top 20 games right now. They did Between Two Cities, which I don't own, but I still think it's a neat design. They are just basically on fire, and Scythe is one of the most hyped games of 2016. Combining what some of the best artwork I've seen in a game for a long time, but combining the worlds of almost like a sort of farming resource management game in 1920s style but with steam-powered mechs and things like that. It's really cool looking. And some of the pictures just look really surreal, where, I mean, the front cover of the box is a bunch of people doing grain farming in the foreground, and yet there's these giant mechs and industrial things in the background. It just looks really good. Now, what does the gameplay like? It actually plays really well. You are on a board, and it's essentially a bit of area control with resource management. You start off in one area, and you have a unique board for yourself, for your faction, and what you will do is that you will send workers out to get resources, you will build mechs to fight off other mechs, and you are trying to put a certain number of stars on the board, essentially meeting objectives. But that's only one of the ways. You can meet personal objectives, you can win battles, you can you know, get all your mechs out first, you can get all your workers out first. There's a lot of ways that you can get these stars. So you don't have to play like a combat munchkin every game. You could decide to do something else. There's a fair amount of paths to victory. But there's so much in this game that's actually really good. The pieces are stellar. There are some great components in here, and that's just with the retail version of the game. If you were one of the lucky persons who actually bothered to kickstart this thing, I wish I did, I'm really annoyed I didn't, but you could actually get the metal coins and the realistic resource tokens with them. I think what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be getting a retail copy of this and getting those separately. Might cost me a little bit more, but that was my mistake for not getting in on it sooner. But it will look the business when you've got that. But the idea with the actions that you do is that you've got a board with four different types of actions and there's two potential things you can do when you choose a section of the board. You do the top action and you do the bottom action. Of course, depending on your resources, whether you can. And some of them will upgrade your actions so you can do more stuff. Some of them will allow you to build stuff or gain resources, that kind of thing. And you have to choose a different section each time. But what's really cool is that the factions that you have, I think there are five in the game to begin with, they all are completely different. They have different pieces, they have different mechs, they have different boards in general, not just in the sense of, oh yeah, you know, this thing is a, a little bit cheaper. No, that they actually require different resources to do different stuff. And some of their stuff is cheaper, some of it is more expensive, their starting resources are different. You really do feel like a different faction when you play one of those boards. And it is some of the best style of asymmetrical gameplay I've seen in a while, especially with this many players. We're talking chaos in the old world levels of decent asymmetry. Is that even a word? I have no idea. But you, you get what I mean. You feel very different. On top of that, you've got these really cool encounter cards that you can discover during the game, which is a bit like the sort of Arkham Horror, Eldritch Horrors type thing, except you get a choice of three different things to do. One being the goody two-shoes action, one being the neutral action, and one being the I'm a ruthless, you know, ruthless nasty person action. Can't, <laughs> I can't say the actual word, PC-13. And the idea is, is that you can choose which one of those you want, and they will get you different bonuses and maybe lose certain other things based on what you choose. But it almost feels like you're playing out your own story. Granted, we're not talking deep levels of immersion into a story here, but the encounters are a nice touch, and they are, they've they got the same gorgeous artwork that you see all over the place. Generally, I really enjoyed it. I can't remember if I won or not. I think I technically won. We played to 
uh, one less star than we were meant to, and had we played to the required number, I would have actually won that same turn, but I, I can't remember the exact details. But the game itself was really cool. You know, there's not a huge amount of luck or randomness in the game. There's no dice. You don't roll any dice. Even combat is done with the use of cards and bidding power. Think of, uh, uh, what was that game called? Uh, Rex. Think of how Rex worked, where you had to choose how much power you put into a battle, but you lost that power for doing it. It's that similar mechanic, and it works really well, because it eliminates the element of luck. So, it's really good game. I think Stonemaier is on to another hit here. I need to play it more to make a sort of final assessment, but first impressions, I'm really impressed. And I think this will definitely be at least a review copy, if not a purchase, when it comes out later this year. And you know that this is going to get bought in the thousands. People are going to be hyping this game like crazy, and it will be nice to actually have a game that gets hyped that I actually jump on board with and say, yes, it deserves it. I can't remember the last time I've done that. Uh, Probably Time Stories? And even then, Time Stories is starting to... uh, lose a bit of its momentum lately, shall we say. But, yeah, because I wasn't mad on Dead of Winter. I didn't go mad like crazy for Blood Rage. Yeah, I think most of the really hype stuff tend to fall a little bit flat. So it would be nice for Stonemaier to show me wrong and bring me a game like Scythe that tells me, no, this game got the hype and it deserved it. And to be fair, considering Stonemaier, like I said, has not put a foot wrong in anything that's done... Well, let's just say I've got pretty high hopes for this. So I recommend you give it a try when it comes out. But I suspect most of you listening to this have already pre-ordered the game. So I wouldn't exactly worry about that too much. You're going to get it and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Scythe. Wow, we're getting on to an extended episode here, so I better get on with my top 10 moments from the UK Games Expo. Now, you'll probably think, well, hang on, wasn't there supposed to be more games I talked about? Well, that's because at least two of them, if not more, are going to turn up in these top 10 moments, so I will talk about the game when I get to then. So, this is essentially just 10 moments or 10 times 10 things that I did at the expo which are going to stick around in memory for a long time to come that really sort of just made my day with the expo so this is just things that happened that I really remember I'll get on with it now and stop yabbering so top 10 moments from the UK Games Expo Number 10 isn't so much of a moment, but more of a evening, and night, and maybe then some. Essentially, I took part in a 6-7 to seven hour Mega Civilization game on Friday evening. This was played not only with the designer, but also 13 other players, including myself, two friends from Southampton, and a bunch of randoms I'd never met before and who didn't really know me. So this was going to be one hell of an experience, and it was. Now, Mega Civilization, I think, isn't quite the game I was hoping it was going to be. It didn't seem like you actually did very much on your turn. Most of it came down to the trading phase, which was a little chaotic. I didn't like how the rules for calamities worked, that kind of thing. But the game itself was still entertaining, and it's not often that you can play a 6-7 hour game with 14 people and finish. So it's definitely going to stay in my mind as I tried this game, it was a big epic event, and it was still enjoyable, but once I'd finished I was like, yeah, that's good, I've tried Mega Civilization, I don't need to try it again. But I needed to at least test it out, and it's not often that I get into these giant heavy epic games anyway. So number 10, the Mega Civilization game with the designer. Number 9 was the two-hour event at the start of Friday, which was the Press Pass event that I was invited to. Essentially, this is where all the publishers and designers who wanted to attend it had a row of tables where they just basically showcased one particular game or product that they were hoping to sell or you know give information about, 
and we got to just essentially browse through them. Some people had microphones and were doing interviews. I, of course, not having that facility just yet, was getting lots of notes and certainly speaking to a lot of different designers and publishers and seeing all sorts of really interesting stuff that was due to come out over the course of this year and possibly next. It was a bit short. I wish we had more than just a couple of hours to do it, but it was certainly handy, and one advantage of being on the Press Pass event is that it does get you early in- entrance into the hall itself each day, so, well, can't complain. But it was a nice little event, got to see a lot of things, got to meet, finally, the the crew from Estevium Games, who I've been dealing with for a while in terms of review copies and that, and it was just, you know, finally got to meet some people, saw some cool stuff, and, you know, it just made made you feel a little bit important, you know, like you were part of the press and you were in you were interested in finding out all this stuff about games. And it was. So I look forward to doing it again next year. The Press Pass event for number nine. Number eight was the demo I had of Tatsu with the designer John Liani. Now, this was a fairly short game, obviously, just a simple two-player abstract, but the game itself, as I previously mentioned, was a very fun one. It was my one of my first purchases from the expo itself, and generally, John was a really decent bloke and a cool guy to play this sort of game with. We had a lot of fun playing Tatsu and him showing me the rules. I didn't require too much help from him in terms of picking up the tactics relatively quickly, and I ended up beating him at his own game, which I'm sure you know I wouldn't be the first, but... You know, you always get a bit of a kick when you do that. And generally, it was very enjoyable. Now, I must have got really engrossed in that game because my friend um, Jay from Breacher18.com was somehow able to get a photo of me engrossed in the game, literally as if she was in my own face taking the picture. And I had no idea she was there. So I don't know whether she's secretly a ninja in real life. But obviously, when I get into a game, I am 100% in that game and with the people involved in the game and pretty much not taking any notice of whatever is in the outside world at that point. That just seems to obviously be a thing with me. But generally, this was a really fun demo to do. Fairly short, which was a bit of a shame, but memorable, and it's another game that's in my collection. So the demo with Tatsu for number 8. Number seven was another demo, but this was for Automania. With Automania, there was four of us, and the lady showing us how the game worked was a good laugh, very competitive, even though she tried to make out that she wasn't. And also, a friend of mine from Taunton had unexpectedly showed up at the convention and essentially surprised me. So I really didn't expect him to be there, but I certainly didn't mind it. And it meant that, oh, well, you could sit in this game and try it out as the fourth player. And it just made for a good, fun game of Automania. I have previously said that I'm not sure if I'm going to buy this game or not, but certainly it was a very good time and a very good demo of Automania, which is now putting me on that sort of itchy trigger moment as to whether I'm going to include it in my collection or not. Maybe when I've moved house and I realise how much shelf space I've got extra in the new game room, we'll see. But certainly I did enjoy this demo. I thought I was going to have to leave it halfway through, but I decided, nah, enjoying myself too much, I'm going to stick around. So that obviously had to make the list for forcing me to stick around despite wanting to do other things. So Automania number seven. Number six was the time I spent looking around the Geekerson area and chatting to Martin and co, the people who were running it. Now, this seems a little bit weird to some of you, I bet. You know, why just looking around a stall? Was this a great moment? Well, you know that giddy feeling you get when you go to the expo in general, like you're a kid walking around in a candy store with all these games around? Well... Think that, but except rather than games, we're talking about all that furniture. I have got a Gigason table on order, already made, ready to be delivered for when I move into my new house. But I saw such nice stuff there. The, the table I ordered there, there was an upgraded one with speakers in it, which was probably a little bit over the top, but still, wouldn't you just want to have them? There was all sorts of other furniture I didn't even realize they were doing, like simplistic uh, dining table versions and sofa storage and coffee tables and that. And oh my god, it just made me sort of think, 
Well, you know what? I do have more than one room in my house. You know, it already wants me to order more furniture just to fill up the other rooms. And I'm very tempted. I want to have people over and host game weekends and stuff like that. So I'm going to need more than just one big game table. So I'm probably going to need one in the kitchen. That's a sort of convertible dining table and gaming table. And then maybe a coffee table in the lounge would be quite a good laugh. So Geekers is going to suck away a lot of my money and it's not good. But <laughs> there's a lot of nice stuff to have. But on top of that, as well as just going googly-eye for all the stuff there, it was really nice to chat to Martin and all the rest because they, they're they all decent people. They, I got to talk about the table I'd already ordered. They discussed the sort of ideas that they had and what they were coming up with. They're just a very friendly bunch of people and it's so good to have a UK specialist in gaming furniture which is doing well. I suppose the only downer was that I didn't win the raffle. Oh well, can't win them all. Number six, going around the Geekazon area. Number five isn't so much a single moment, it's a collection of little moments that happened throughout the weekend. And this is when people just came up to me randomly to say hi or well done. Now, I'm not the, you know, I'm, I'm small fry compared to a lot of people who do this sort of thing, blogging and podcasting. So to just have anybody come up to me and say, I recognise you, or you're the broken meeple, aren't you? Or thank you, you know, you're doing a good job, keep it up. Just to have that sort of thing said to me, it's not only surreal, you know, it catches me off guard because I'm not used to it, but it just puts a smile on my face, a huge smile on my face, because I didn't do this blog to you know, get millions of followers and all that sort of thing. I just wanted to express my opinion, give out my passion for games, and just know that somewhere out there, someone listens to it, or someone reads it, and gets something good out of it. And this is what having those people just come up and say hi, because I did invite you. I did say, you know, feel free to come and say hi. I certainly wouldn't bite. Far from it. It was just so refreshing now and again just to have somebody say, you know, like what you're doing. And then we just have a quick, like, five-minute chat about the expo and what I've done and what the plans for the blog are. And I know, like, people like Tom Vassell and Sam Eden or Dice Tower Lot get this on a regular basis every five seconds. But just to get it at all, it's a really good feeling. And I thank you all for those who came up and said hi. I really appreciated the feedback, whether it was... You know, mostly good feedback. I mean, there were one or two things where people said maybe this could change and that. And I can take that sort of thing on board and see how to filter that into the future. But certainly, overall, it was great positive feedback. I look forward to seeing you again at future expos and conventions. Thank you very much. Here from me, number five, having you all say hi. Number four was a demo of a game called Crisis. Now, I'm going to be doing a pre-Kickstarter review of this game, and it's going to come out at some point this week, so be on the lookout for that. But basically, I was introduced to Iraklis Gru, I hope I got that anywhere remotely pronounced correctly, from Ludi Creations at the UK Games Expo. And essentially, a few of us, myself and Polyhedron Collider, you might recognise him from Twitter, and a couple of other bloggers and random people, including my friend, who was still there from the Automania event, were chosen to have a playtest of Crisis. Crisis this is a new game coming on Kickstarter and from Ludi Creations later this year, and it's an economic worker placement game. Now, usually you'd think, well, hang on, you're not normally a big fan of economic games. Why would you go mad for playing something like this? Well, I was a little bit on the fence myself for that reason. I thought, mm, economic games, I don't know. But what was cool about this one that sort of drew me in was the setting. It looked very sort of postmodern setting with industry and, you know, an economic union going bankrupt. You know, it feels very true to time at the moment. And also because it had a mechanic where the state of the like the world, the setting economy, dictated what sort of random events would turn up each time, each turn, sorry. And if you're if the players didn't do well as a group, then the entire area would go bankrupt, and the game would immediately end, and you would count up the points there and then, not counting any points for things like money, which could get you a sizable amount of points at the end if you do well on the funding front. And that was a really cool little mechanic that intrigued me in. 
But why this makes so high on my list was because it was a very enjoyable two-hour, five-player game of something which I didn't know if I would like or not, but unexpectedly thought, yeah, this is actually pretty good, and I look forward to the Kickstarter. Normally, Ludi Creations hasn't featured a lot in my game collection. In fact, I don't know if I own anything by Ludi Creations. But certainly, this one is like, ooh, this could be the, the resurgence where I go, yes, this is definitely what I wanted in the first place. It was really entertaining. There was a lot of good banter between all of us at the table. There was a lot of you know friendly competitiveness. The game itself was enjoyable. And once we were done, we got to give a lot of feedback about how the game was designed, what things could be changed, etc. Because it wasn't like a finalised copy. And generally, you know, Iraklis was a very, very good host, very patient host, considering it took us forever to find a table to actually play the game on. And generally, a very enjoyable playtest of a game which I was very surprised about how much I liked it. So, check out the review from that when it comes out later this week. But for now, number four, Crisis. Number three, well, you had to expect it eventually. This was the Dice Tower live show that was done on Saturday around lunchtime. Now, the Dice Tower live shows are always great fun to watch anyway, and this one was no exception, seeing Tom Vassell and Sam Healy give it their all in front of a UK crowd, including Q&A and talking about Britain and London and the Expo in general. But what really made this was that we were allowed to be on as guests, some of us British podcasters were allowed to just get up as special guests to have our 10 minutes of fame in the spotlight talking to people on a global scale and believe me it was nervous i had my friend jay that i mentioned earlier breacher 18 she appeared and talked a lot about the Luderati Cafe and how she was very passionate about the hobby and what her new segment on throat punch lunch the sam healy's new show was going to be so check it out give it a watch and it was just good fun to watch the show in general it was a good laugh good solid time but wow as soon as it was my turn to go up there i was creasing internally this is not something i'm used to i talk to you guys on a recorded podcast but i can do what i like to this podcast if i so felt like it whereas this time it's i'm going to be talking in front of about 300 plus people and if i do something stupid that's it i've got no way to get around it and it was those first minute the first minute of breaking the ice i was just so nervous but then as soon as the ice got broken it just became a great fun 10 minutes of finally getting my time on the dice tower live show which just essentially made my day it was great to be a part of it and i look forward to hopefully featuring again in the future you know more than just my starting tile and top 10 and question of the week segments but obviously that will probably be a case for when they come back to the UK Games Expo next year, unless I get lucky at Essen, I guess. So, yep, number three, the Dice Tower Live Show. Number two was another seminar, but it wasn't Dice Tower related. This one was a different seminar, and I can't remember the name of the comedian i'm sorry but the main reason i was there was because of colin baker i am a big doctor who fan and so it was great to finally see colin baker in person and get a a fairly good history of his bringing up and his background before he became the doctor and i didn't realize but colin baker is he's like the really eccentric granddad or something he's just so amusing he's very expressive he's very passionate about what he says he's just always a bit of a jokester you you can sort of gather that he'd be like that if you know how he plays as doctor who but just seeing how friendly he is with children for the most part and and just generally how fun it was to listen to that seminar because you get in some seminars and you start checking your watch and thinking okay this is good but you know we've been in here a while this one though i was just engrossed for the full hour it was so great to see him and the comedian you know go at each other with great funny banter but certainly just to finally meet a doctor because i don't think i have before i think this is the first time i have been in the physical presence of a doctor who and I know all I have to do is go down to Cardiff one day and chances are in the Doctor Who experience I would actually possibly meet one. Some people I know who have been more lucky on that front than others. But, you know, 
um, I'll stick with this one for now, Colin Baker, and I hope to meet other doctors in the future. But it was a fantastic seminar. Great to finally meet one of the many idols of mine who have played Doctor Who, the Colin Baker seminar number two. No honourable mentions this time because we need to get on with finishing this episode. So we're just going to get straight into the number one moment or time or experience from the UK Games Expo. And yes, you may call this pandering, but it legitimately was my favourite time at the Expo. Saturday night, I came downstairs to the like big big hall for some open gaming and I very luckily this was completely by chance bumped into Tom and Sam again from the Dice Tower as well as Jay and I was very kindly invited to join them for some evening games we were first testing out Smuggler which was the Cosmos kids game that had come out where you roll gems up in putty balls and try and get them through small spaces really weird somewhat trivial but you know it's a good laugh if you just want to do nothing but you know, mess around with Play-Doh, I guess. It's, you know, brings you back to being a kid. And then we have a few extra people who turned up. We were able to play a large seven-player game. I think it was seven players of Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space. This is one that I should have mentioned earlier on the, like, first impression things, but I wanted to save it for now. Escape from Aliens in Outer Space is a very fun hidden movement game. Very bare-bones hidden movement game with a couple of special abilities, but... You know, rather than having all the dressing that Letters from Whitechapel and Fury of Dracula have, this is as down-to-earth a hidden movement game as you can possibly get. It was great fun. Four aliens, three humans, and all of us were just, like, suspecting each other, trash-talking, having so much fun. And it got so frustrating by the end because Jay, like I said, she's a bit of a ninja and was able to give us the runaround. Well, I say us. She gave two of my alien buddies the runaround for ages, you know, escaping... You know, getting caught by the aliens and that during a hidden movement, and it was just like, seriously, guys, are you chasing? You know, are you chasing Ripley here, or are you chasing Jonesy the cat? It was, <laughs> I was just breathing in so many different alien references, wondering why two of the aliens just could not catch this one girl. And to be fair, I was chasing after Sam Healy, and he pulled the ultimate switcheroo on me and managed to get away. So I was like, mm, kudos to you, Sam. So I had to join the fray at the very end, and again, it took a while for us to actually get hold of Jay, but eventually, despite her superior ninja techniques, I managed to grab the final bite. So, yep, you can blag that you were seriously a good ninja, a very good human to give us the slip for that, but ultimately, you were still chowder. Mm -hmm. So it was great fun to play that and it even finished up when Sam and Tom left eventually because some of them stuck around and we played a game called Bausack, B-A-U-S-A-C-K, which was a dexterity Jenga-like game where you bid with these little gems as currency to see whether you want to use a particular piece or whether you want to refuse to use a particular piece and they come in all different shapes and sizes, some decent and some completely obscure and weird. And the idea is is that you just build this giant tower in front of you for as long as you can, trying not to tip it over, and people are trying to give you really horrible pieces to use, and you're trying to get the best pieces. Really great fun. Didn't finish until something like 1 in the morning by the time we'd done all this, so I was knackered for the rest of the last day. But this had to be my number one, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. It was already decent enough to meet Tom and Sam in person. It was even better to be on the live show and talk to them directly but to engage in friendly banter and conversation while playing games with them, it just made my expo. It was seriously good fun. No bad vibes. Everybody just got on well. There was no harsh words. There was no, like, you know, come on, pay attention or anything like that. Everyone just enjoyed themselves, and I don't think I've enjoyed playing games so much as for that particular evening, and I hope it won't be the last time. So my number one moment, experience, time from the UK Games Expo playing games with the Dice Tower. Okay, there you are. That is the UK Games Expo special now wrapped up. It's another 300 and 
40 odd days or whatever it is until the next UK Games Expo and I cannot wait already but there's plenty of conventions to do before then I will be at Essen this year for the full weekend or full four days whatever it is I intend to attend a few game conventions like local ones in the UK including some new ones like Aircon which takes place up in Bradford near Leeds in October after Essen but also I want to check out a new one that's come on to the like the limelight called Handycon 2017 which is happening in January late January and even though I can't go to Manicon in July because I'll be on a cruise then I will certainly hopefully go to Midcon when that's hosted in November so there's a lot of cool conventions coming up and oh yes of course there is Stabcon you know, StabCon South, I'm sure, will do another convention in September, which I'll go to. Hopefully that won't clash too much with me moving house. And it's just generally going to be quite a convention-filled autumn and winter, I'd say, for me. So, and on top of that, you know, if you want to look at the blog for recent reviews, I have recently done Marvel Legendary Secret Wars, Volume 1 and 2. That is up. There is a rather shall we say, rather negative review of Concordia on the audio reviews. And there is also the Expo Preview episode of the podcast, if you want to listen to that one first before you listen to this one. (laughs) Depends which order you like it. And coming soon, there'll be reviews for Founding Fathers. There'll be a review for Crisis, as I mentioned, the pre-Kickstarter review. My next audio review will be finally... Pandemic Legacy, yes, I did promise you I would get that out. This will happen. Pandemic Legacy, after completing a full campaign, spoiler free, what did I think of the actual game? Does it deserve the number one spot on Board Game Geek? Also, Agricola Revised Edition is getting a review. Yes, I sold my original copy to buy Caverna. Can the Revised Edition make me put it on the same wavelength as Caverna, or has it not changed enough? And there's more to see as well. So, I look forward to getting that a start on that. For now, I'm going to wrap up episode 45 here. Thank you very much for everybody who said hi at the expo. Thank you, the people at the Game Expo Committee. Thank you for hosting the best convention you get in the UK by far. I look forward to seeing how you improve it for next year. Until then, that's it for me at the Broken Meeple. Take care, play games, and I'll see you soon. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my podcast. Thank you for your continued support. If you wish to find out more, you can check out the website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. Alternatively, you can chat to me on Twitter at The Broken Meeple or search for my Facebook page under, of course, The Broken Meeple. This podcast is dedicated to the gamers like you who play the games I love. So take care, have fun, and enjoy the hobby. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like Blue Peg, Pink Peg or The Snakes Cast. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.